Drafting and Understanding Podcast Contracts. Have you ever wondered what would uh, happen if your podcast co-host suddenly decided to up and leave or if a guest claimed you had no right to use their interview or perhaps an advertiser didn't pay for the slot that you had slaved over for them? Well, it's the sort of thing that keeps us podcasters up at night a little bit, isn't it? But fear not because having the right contracts in place can be the answer. It can be as soothing as a lullaby for some of these nightmare scenarios. Now, in this episode, I'm going to be walking you through the essentials of drafting and understanding the contracts that keep your podcast secure. We'll be talking co-host agreements, guest releases, advertiser deals, platform and network contracts, ensuring you have a legal safety net beneath the high wire act of podcasting. So if you've ever felt that twinge of anxiety about the what ifs of your podcasting venture, stay tuned. This episode of Legit Podcast Pro might just be the legal armor you need to fend off those potential podcasting perils. Stick around. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Legit Podcast Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Gordon Firemark, the podcast lawyer. And today we're going to talk about something that forms the bedrock of any professional approach to podcasting, drafting and understanding contracts. Now, in the next few minutes, we're going to dissect the critical role that contracts can play in your podcasting venture. Whether you're just starting out or you've been at it for a while, clear agreements with your co-hosts and guests, advertisers and networks and platforms. And they're not just nice to haves. They are essential to protect your interests and keep your show on the path toward profit and success. So now let's dig into why contracts are really sort of non-negotiable on this journey. Now, without them, you are essentially walking a high wire without a net. Consider this. What happens if your co-host decides to walk away and takes half the audience or all the audience with them? Or if an advertiser claims you didn't meet your deliverables or contracts or, you know, that's what these are here to prevent, these kinds of disputes. And if they do arise, the contract provides a clear path to resolution. But the contracts aren't just about preventing worst case scenarios. They're also about clarifying relationships, those relationships with co-hosts. You got to outline who does what, who owns what, and how profits and losses are going to be shared. It is crucial to have these tough conversations early and get them down in writing. And as it happens, I've got something that can really help you. So don't let the what ifs of podcasting partnerships leave you in a bind. You can get a free podcast prenup planning guide right now and start asking the right questions so you can safeguard your show's future. Protect your dream team with a contract that covers all the bases. So head over to podcastprenup.com and secure your peace of mind today. But when it comes to guests, the waters can get murky if you don't have a contract with them. Who owns the content you create together? Can they reuse it for their own purposes? What about their image and their intellectual property that they bring to the party? Contracts can clear all of that up. And you should always, always, always use a release with your guest. I call it practicing safe guest. Just so you have proof that the guest gave their consent for you to record and publish their appearance. Get a free guest release template by visiting podcastrelease.com, and I'm happy to send you over the one I recommend. Put that into a web form or build it into your workflow so as you book guests, they, they're clicking a box or signing the thing, and you're good to go. Now, next up, advertisers. They are your revenue lifeblood, so nailing down those contracts is going to be key. 
you have to articulate exactly what the expectations are on both sides, what you're delivering and what they're paying. And you need to be clear about the results you're promising. And you need to cover the what if something goes wrong. What if you miss a week or you misread the copy or something else goes wrong? This is where you include a provision in your contract called a make good, where rather than having to give them money back, you give them an extra ad down the line or sometimes a two-for-one or something like that. And that way they feel like they're being treated fairly and you don't go into your pocket over a little kind of negligent, negligible mistake or something like that. Now, network contracts. These days, it's not at all uncommon for podcasts to be on uh, or even exclusive on one network or another. Now, these contracts really do need to cover everything from who's supposed to do what. What are the deliverables that are required from the podcaster? What are the, what's the network going to do? Who owns it? The title of the show, the content, the RSS feed for the show. Is the network providing any production or post-production services? What services are they providing? Where and for just for how long does the network have the rights to distribute your content? Uh, and how and when you're going to be paid? These are all issues. And what happens at the end of the term? What if the network decides to cancel the show or you decide to leave? Who gets the podcast then? Who gets the house and kids? Another kind of prenup this time with the network. Okay, so those are some of the kinds of contracts that you want to think about having in place. Now, how do we actually go about making these contracts? Well, a contract is really just another word for an agreement or a deal. Contracts don't have to be in writing. But here's the caveat. If they're not, then they are a lot harder to enforce because often there's a disagreement about what the deal terms actually were. So it's an agreement. That means the first step is for one party to make an offer and the other party to either accept or reject or make a counteroffer. Then we go back and forth with counteroffers until the terms are all answered with a yes, I agree. That's an agreement. And then it's time to write it up. Now, a formal memorandum of agreement loaded up with whereases and where to fors and those kinds of things, that's probably not really necessary. That kind of legalese is confusing and it's just not, uh, not modern practice. It is better in almost every situation to go with plain language. That way there's less confusion or room for misunderstanding. Now, I sometimes like to use a letter form of agreement. So you start out like you're writing a letter. Dear so-and-so, this letter will confirm our agreement for X and Y and Z. Now, specifically, we've agreed as follows. One, two, three, and so on. You list the things. So it starts with knowing who are the parties. You'll need full names, addresses, and what their general role is. Then you're going to define the terms and the scope of the deal. What's the purpose of your agreement? What are you and the other party agreeing to do or not to do? And within the body of the contract, you'll detail things like payment schedules, who owns the intellectual property rights, what happens if someone wants out. This is where the specifics really, really matter. And you sometimes you have to hash it out for a bit. You want everything as clear as day. And let's not forget the standard clauses. Now, they might seem like legal fluff. We call them boilerplate. But things like confidentiality or how the disputes and where the disputes are going to be resolved can be really important. And which state's law is going to govern the contract, that can be hugely important. Another provision to be really thoughtful about is the clause that says you're going to indemnify the other party or they're going to indemnify you. 
I have a lot of thoughts about indemnification because I've seen it come back and bite people in, in a way that wasn't expected. And so you got to really think about this. Indemnification means it's that hold harmless clause. It means that if something happens, the party that's responsible for that incident or accident or overlooking whatever is going to make the other party whole. They're going to defend them in a lawsuit or they're going to pay up the, the award of damages and those kinds of things. But I've seen in recent cases a couple of situations where the where the in this case it was a network and the podcast was accused of defamation and uh, it was actually defamation of a of a person who is still awaiting his trial on the crimes that he's accused of doing. The podcast was reporting on those crimes. And um in this case, the the person who is accused threatened to sue the podcaster and the network, and the network said to the podcaster, okay, we understand. We got this. We'll take care of it, and they didn't really do their due diligence. They didn't look up the law of whether they should do a retraction or those kinds of things when this guy demanded a retraction, and so they missed a deadline. That means that they were, you know, that, that it was too late to do a retraction and that could be more money damages and those kinds of things. Well, in this instance, they had said they'd take care of it, but then they took care of it by settling the lawsuit or the, the claim with this alleged criminal, even before it was proven whether or not what was said on the show was really true. So then they have this indemnification clause saying, hey, you're the one who said it on your show so you've got to pay up and, and make up this uh, this payment we made. It was a mid-six figures payment to this person. So now we've got the podcaster who promised to indemnify, who didn't have a say in how the, the claim was handled and, in fact, how the claim was botched, really. And uh, now they're responsible for this, you know, six-figure settlement number. Uh, that they didn't really have any control over. So you've got to be thoughtful about whether or not you want that kind of a clause and what kind of limitations can be put in there. So that's the kind of thing where having a lawyer look at your document might make really good sense. Another thing that comes up in indemnification situations, and I should probably do a whole episode on this, but indemnification also is really only as as strong or as powerful as the financial security of the person who's giving the promise of indemnity. Because after all, if you come looking to someone to make you whole after you've paid a settlement or had a lawsuit or something, and they don't have two nickels to rub together, well, you're still out of luck. So it, it's often a, a, a sort of a peric victory. Um, you know, you, you, yeah, you got the, the indemnification, but it's no, it's of no value to you. So Something to think about when when making these deals, and maybe we we should leave them out sometimes. All right, so back to that negotiation strategy, that that back and forth over the agreements and counter the offer and acceptance and counter offers and so on. It can feel a bit daunting, but it really doesn't have to be a battle. It's a conversation. It's about reaching an agreement that benefits everyone. So you want to talk about all of the things that we're concerned about, like the things I've just been talking about. Remember, a little flexibility and compromise goes a long way in forging lasting professional relationships and trust and honestly, just good faith. So have those conversations, be respectful and thoughtful, and I'll do another episode about the, the, the steps in negotiation and, and some tips and strategies for that. But finally, executing the contract properly is very, very important. If it needs to be signed, you've got to figure out how you're going to sign it. Now, electronic signatures nowadays are very valid. Most states and, and uh, jurisdictions internationally recognize e-signatures. And I think it's a great way to go. But, you know, it doesn't hurt to 
be in the same room with people and sign a piece of paper with blue ink and wet you know ink on the paper and exchange signed copies so you can store them and that's the next thing storing that agreement you need to keep these kinds of contracts in a safe place where you can put your hands on them if there's ever a question a possible breach or anything like that because after all a contract isn't really going to be worth much if you can't find it or if it wasn't properly signed in the first place now listen you don't have to reinvent the wheel when you're making contracts in fact you can access a large library of podcast contract templates over at Easy Legal Forms and Templates for Podcasters. Just go over to podcastlawforms.com, find what you need, or grab the entire bundle now. We offer that at one easy, affordable price. It's a huge savings. So you'll never wonder what your contracts should say ever again. Podcastlawforms.com is your ticket to easy, legal, affordable podcasting contract templates. So that's going to be it for our foray into podcasting contracts. Remember, while I've outlined the basics, it really is a good idea sometimes to have a lawyer review your contracts. If there's anything you're not sure about, if there's anything you're not clear about, it makes sense to talk to somebody who does understand these kinds of things. This is all about protecting your podcast, your business, your personal assets, and ultimately your dreams. So thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Legit Podcast Pro podcast. I'm Gordon Firemark, the podcast lawyer, reminding you to keep it legal, keep it out there. Don't forget to hit like, subscribe, and share this episode with fellow podcasters. And until next time, keep your mic hot and your attitude cool.